Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. Wrestling is my life. So it was able to get me to a place right now where I, I have my dream job. I consider myself very lucky with Illinois, with my family and with so many things. And, and rest, rest, you and I talking right now is because of wrestling. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient it pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me taught me humility nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling i think it's the learning to adapt right you learn you learn how to adapt you learn how to solve problems you know if i look back my time i spent wrestling if it gave me one thing more than anything else it's mental toughness ladies and gents welcome back to wrestling change my life this is your host ryan warner my guest today is Fighting Illini assistant coach Mike Poeta. As a wrestler, he was a two-time NCAA finalist, three-time All-American, and in high school, two-time Illinois State champ. But get this, three-time Fargo champ, four-time finalist. He's one of the best the Land of Lincoln's ever produced. He's a great coach and a great guy. Enjoy the conversation very much. I know you will as well. Fan of the week is Steven Sanchez from Ellensburg, Washington. Thank you for tuning in, my brother. And folks, if you enjoy this episode and want to support the show, please consider attending the Beat the Streets Chicago Virtual Gala. It's taking place on Saturday, June 8th from 8 to 9 p.m. To register, please go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com and click on the Beat the Streets tile on the homepage. That's Saturday, June 8th from 8 to 9 p.m. Please consider attending if you want to support the show. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Mike Poeta. Mike Poeta, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join the show here, my friend. No, Ryan, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, you've been doing a phenomenal job with this. Uh, I was talking to someone, a friend earlier, who's not involved in wrestling, and I told him I was doing this podcast later, and he was kind of asking about it, and I was like, all right, in about a span of a year, this kid pretty much interviewed Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Shaq of our sports, so I'm pretty <laughs> nervous right now. Dude, don't be, man. Let's start with something fun. Las Vegas... Griff Powell's responsible for the hotel. Mark Johnson at some point. Do you know this story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mark Carl Johnson. Perry. Bum rushes Carl, Carl, per Carl Perry. Carl, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Carl, yeah, Carl, Carl's one of my favorite people in the, in the world. Um, I think everyone that knows him kind of sees his charisma and um, how likable he is. Uh, but for whatever reason, he, he was not very good at booking hotels. Like, he it was a constant theme of like, we'd show up and Johnson would be yelling at him, but it just, no one, there was never a lesson learned. It just continued that way. But we, we stayed, it was the Vegas tournament my freshman year. Um, we stayed about 20 minutes off the strip for whatever reason. And there were homeless people loitering in between our rooms. We we're in a motel. We got to our rooms from, from outside, from the parking lot. Um, so coach Johnson said, guys, don't put the latch in your door. So we, we always put our, the latch in, in the door and everyone's just bouncing around from room to room, just kind of passing time, hanging out, having fun uh, while you're traveling when you're not competing. Right. So he makes, he makes a point to like really hammer that in. Don't put that thing in your door. So we're coming back the day before from practice. I'm in the minivan that he's driving. And uh, as we pull in the parking lot, his, his hotel room door is wide open and he slams on the brakes, hops out of the car and he full sprints to his hotel room. <laughs> now, I mean, the, it was like so clear, as clear as can be that it was the maids. Like the cart was right in front of his door. You could almost see the maids, but like he'd lost it as soon as he saw his door open. So he slams on the brakes, he gets out and he starts running towards his room. Now he never throws the car in park. So you have a team, my freshman year, our team was really good. We were ranked second in the country the majority of the year. Mm -hmm. So our car probably had four or five all Americans in it. And we're in Vegas in a parking lot going 10 miles 
10 miles per hour down the parking lot with no driver with the door open because he just hopped out and full sprinted. He didn't, he didn't look at the next step of, of us in the car. He just wanted to figure out what was going on with his room. So someone hopping in the driver's seat, slamming on the brakes right before we basically go into a ravine. <laughs> Dude, Mark Johnson, one of my all-time favorite people, and not even that we have a close relationship, but going, being from the Quad Cities, he was an idol. And every, everything I hear about that guy, he's just aces. Is it true, though, that Mark has a little bit of a temper from time to oh, time? I mean, come on. That, you, don't <laughs> even have, you don't even have to ask that question. That's crazy. Um, uh, yeah, but Mark, Mark's great. I actually say that I think, I think people truly might think or be suspicious that Mark pays me to talk the way I talk about him. Because to me, he's, he's, the, the, um, he's just the, large, the largest figure in my life. He's so, he's so, he, he commands a room. He commands kind of everything, respect. He's hilarious. He loves all his guys. I think probably the coolest thing about Mark Johnson is you have one of the greatest leaders, mentors you could have, but then every single guy on the team mattered. There were 35 guys that mattered. I'm telling you, there were guys that probably never scored a point other than escapes for five years in practice that Mark had the same relationship with as like me or um, John Durgo or mm -hmm. those guys, who, Jimmy Kennedy. Dude, when he walks in your living room, he must be just aces with the mom and dad. He sits down. I mean, I, I can't imagine having Mark Johnson as a recruit in your well, living room. Well, geez, watch, watch out with the moms. I mean, Mark Johnson, <laughs> the most handsome man up there. Um, he, well, that was actually one thing that my mom said, comparing it to other coaches that came to my house. She said, just what a difference. Yeah. Like, what a difference that guy was. That, may, that, like, uh, that left such an impression on her. So Jack, Jack Spates came to my house from Oklahoma. And uh, was, he, they offered me no money. Came out to my house, and he, and he wanted me to go to Oklahoma for free. And what? my dad, my dad's kind of like, you know, Jack, like, <laughs> come on. I mean, that's Jack. It's me. That's, come pretty, on. that's pretty ridiculous <laughs> right now. And, um, so, uh, we fed him. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people know about this. I talked about this in other interviews. My, my dad owns a butcher shop. So like the way I ate my entire life was I didn't realize how that I ate at Ruth's Chris basically every night of my life. Uh, <laughs> I thought everyone just did that because the food that my dad would bring home every night. Um, so we fed Jack Spates really well. He flies back to Oklahoma. He calls me back that night and says, we have a full ride for you. Now, whatever happened in those five hours, but that was, that was the difference. And it is a little bit of a business. So you, you do, if you can, as cheap as you can get kids, you want that. Sure. Um, but when I had to call Jack and tell him I wasn't going to Oklahoma, he was, I don't think he was trying to be funny. He said, Mike, can I still come back and have dinner? Another dinner. <laughs> I was like, absolutely, anytime you want. Yeah, because you guys got the. Uh, I mean, you're obviously Italian. Your, your pops was first generation. And I want to. Mm -hmm. I want to hear about that. But you know, the butcher shop. You got ribeyes. You got steaks, fish. I mean, the whole thing, man. I uh, I've yet to get meat from there. I just moved back to Chicago like two years ago from California, but uh, haven't made it that far north. Yet. You live in the city right now? Yeah, I live in Lakeview. All right, make make a twenty minute trip north, and we'll give you the family discount. Dude, I would love to. I love. I love, yeah. I I heard you say that about uh that you used to pay Rob Eider in like ribeyes. I'm I'm not trying to be funny. I've seen Rob leave with like stacks of like white butcher paper with blood coming out of it of just of just <laughs> probably six to seven uh steaks. Jesus, dude. Let's go back to the beginning though. Like you said, I mean, your dad came over. How old was he when he came to the states? He was six. Man, I mean, the, you don't hear of many first generation immigrants as as someone's parent who's in our, you know, our age. So, yeah. you know, I think of, think of someone like that, just gritty. I mean, coin operated. I mean, how did he grow his business and how did that rub up on you growing up? He has the best work ethic I've ever seen in my entire life. I will put his up against anybody. Um, he, he's a machine. I mean, he, he wakes up, he plugs himself in, he works all day and then he unplugs himself. He is, he's just, he's, he's just focused and, um, nothing distracts him. And I, I honestly, I don't know if I could do what he's done for the past 40 years for a week. I think wrestling is easy compared to what he does. I know everyone, it's always the opposite. Yeah. When my dad works so hard that maybe it's just him personally. I couldn't do what he could do personally right. for a week. I actually think training when you're training and it's just, you know, it's two hours of really, really hard, grueling training and you're about as uncomfortable as you could ever imagine, but it's, it's just a couple hours. I think the daily grind of doing that all day, especially like people in the trades, like I, 
everyone says that once you wrestle, everything in life is easy. I think, I think wrestling is insanely tough. Also with those, those occupations are tough, real tough. And did you ever get in there and work as a kid? Yeah. So I starting in probably junior high, I was no, even way younger than that. I, I washed, I washed dishes there. I washed the dishes nonstop. I was so nervous helping customers. I I'm pretty sure we lost customers because I was so nervous. I'd be like sweating on the food <laughs> as I was made, as I was like cutting it and preparing it. And I, it would take forever. Something that would take a minute. I, it would take me 20 minutes. Stop so, it. Just kind of like the, just helping customers and them over the counter watching me. I just, I, I had a really hard time with that. So I spent a lot of time uh, washing dishes there, helping out in the back. Um, every summer I caddied. Uh, so I, I was always working. My dad, my dad always had me working. Like I love my dad to death, but when I was probably 10 years old and so I graduated high school, if I saw his name come up on my phone, it was to work. It was to either work or work out. So when I saw that, I was like, oh man, what do I press here? Oh God, it's my dad. I really don't feel like going to work. It's funny because you hear a lot of kids now and certainly the kids you recruit, a lot of them probably just wrestle all year round and that's, that's enough. But you know, even you who, you know, a couple of times Fargo champ, you weren't allowed to just wrestle in the summer. You still had to get out there and work a little bit. Yeah, I, I worked up until college all the time and, I actually, and I'm very grateful for it. Um, Coach Johnson, speaking of him, always made fun of me coming from Highland Park in the North Shore. He always called me spoiled. He would always ask me what my butler's name was and <laughs> stuff like that. But it, it really was the complete opposite. And, and I think he jokes with me like that because he knows that it was a 180 of that. Sure. Now, your pops, sounds like he was a wrestler. Yeah, he, he started wrestling in high school. Um, he was a state qualifier, uh, ranked really high in the state, um, just wrestled for four years. He actually he had a scholarship to some D3 school, I can't remember, in Wisconsin. Uh, he drove up there uh, to register. It was by alphabetical order. P was not up. They said you had to come back the next day. And what's funny is my dad said, I had to take a day off of work to come register. I can't take another day off. I can't come back tomorrow. Please just let me do it now. And the lady said no. And then that was his college career. He never <laughs> He's no nonsense, man. I, I would like to sit down with that guy. He seems just like a old school, strap the boots up. Let's go to work. He is cool. And he's so the, the gym I had, uh, people tell me that they still see him in there in, uh, one of those Dago T tops yeah. and, uh, and jeans lifting. <laughs> now is it, I've heard you say, uh, we're going to go into your career in just a second here, but I love a, a, a good Italian family. I've heard that your uncle, that you can do no wrong with your uncle and that one of your matches you lost, he's like, Oh yeah, Mike heard another whistle. You heard another whistle and you were the yes. finals match. <laughs> This guy, I mean, it, my, my uncle Luca, it's like, a, he is, he is classic. Like he, he, him and my dad have ran the butcher shop together for all those years, but for myself, for his kids, his grandkids, no one has ever done wrong. It's been everyone else's fault in, in everything. I love uncle Luca to death. Um, when I did an interview the other day, I said, I was going to try and do it in his accent. So I'm going to try and do it now. Cause I forgot to, but it was the, he was, he was talking to someone about the NCAA finals match against Jordan Burroughs and Burroughs takes me down right at the end of the uh, first period. And he was telling someone that it happened because I heard another whistle. Like there was another match going on or another mat. And that <laughs> I, I looked over and that's when Burroughs took me down. So that was the reason that I lost to him. But the, he kind of says it like this. And, and I have to, I have to say, God damn it. I don't want to offend anybody, but he says that at the start of every sentence. Okay. So he says it like this. He goes, ah, God damn it. He heard another whistle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I, and I can just imagine, you know, imagine that happening too. I mean, family's important. And I, I know you're a big family guy. So that's why I had to ask. That's great stuff, man. Now, 10 years old, let's go back to the beginning for you. 10 years old, you watched the 96 Olympics. That seems like a pretty big turning point for you in making the jump to being an elite IKWF wrestler. When did you start going? you know, all in at the IKWF circuit level? It was like right around then. Um, so in, in fifth grade, uh, I made it to the IKWF state finals. I lost to Cassio Perro in the finals, which is something that like he would show in the locker room while we were in college of us 70 pound novice and beating <laughs> me. Um, but I think like when, when I made it to the finals and that was such a big deal to me, I kind of like, I think that, that jump started. And then also I, uh, Someone showed me the 96 uh, Olympic highlight tape and the, the American team was, did amazing that year. And there were three champs and the one that really stuck out to me was Kendall Cross. Mm -hmm. And the way Kendall 
the emotion that he showed after he won, it was like, I said, my, all my motivation is that everything that I, every sacrifice I make now for the rest of my wrestling career is going to be to feel how Kendall Cross does right now. Mm. So that, that kind of drove me. I had a picture of him where he's got both, both fists clenched. I always used that as motivation. There were, there were other guys, but I think that that particular time was like, I, I'm getting that. Like that I did, like people say, John Smith decided to win the Olympics that year. That's kind of what it, what his, where his mind frame went, where he, where he got it. He decided, I think right then I decided to be really good in wrestling. Dude. And ab- after that, it was off to the races. You are a staple and still out of this day. Talk about the IKWF, man. That, that's a pretty elite circuit. You know, I know you travel and recruit all around. What do you remember from your battles? Like, who was your top competition back there? Was it Cassio or were there other guys who were floating in there as well? Uh, that, well, probably Cassio and Alex Sertis. Okay. Probably the two. Al- Alex was the most intimidating kid. Ca- I think Cassio and Alex, I think I was just terrified of them. Uh, Cassio, he was, it was this situation. I'm in fifth grade. He's in seventh grade. He's already a two-time state champ. He's a Harvey Twister. He is chiseled out of his mind. I had no prayer, like <laughs> in that match. And 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 Sertis was like that too. Sertis was a little rock. Um, but probably those two I like feared. But really, outside of that, there there weren't there weren't I don't think any names that really stick out. Um, I won it in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I lost to Cass in fifth grade, but. And when I was in seventh grade, so you, you remember when the IKWF and IWFs, there was that yeah. split? Yeah. All right, so that, that made like zero sense. But, and this is the, getting back to my dad. He's like, uh-uh, Some, someone else, someone else is not going to be the 70, what way was it? The 89 pound state champ. There's not going to be another kid in the state that's going to be able to claim it. Who wins IWF? We're going to both. So the IKWF and IWF, they tried to make the state series impossible for someone to do both. Mm-hmm. Like the way they staggered it and overlapped it. All right. So here's, here's like the time, the time frame. So I wrestled IKWF regionals one weekend, the next weekend, IKWF regionals on Saturday, then went to IWF or IKWF sectionals, IWF regionals the next day. Now the next weekend, IKWF state is in Carbondale. So Friday and Saturday, I win IKWF state. Saturday night after the podium at 10 o'clock at night, we get in a car, we drive to Waukegan High School, five plus hours. Oh. I weigh in for IWF sectionals, win two matches, get to where I need to get down state and leave. And then the next week when won the IWF state finals. Gee. I, I can guarantee, I can guarantee, I'll, I'll bet my house on this. Nobody else has won an IKWF and IWF state title in the same year. Man, no, that's there's no legit, logistically, no one's that nuts. That's fucking crazy. I mean, your pops and <laughs> people don't realize I, so seventh grade was the last year it was in Carbondale. That's the edge of, that's the edge of oblivion. Like you don't know what's going on down there. It's like seven hours from, uh, you know, from above I-80 to get down there. You know, that's, that's crazy. Absolutely. I, I still remember just sleep sleeping in my night's sleep was for the tournament was in the backseat of one of the cars. <laughs> now, did your, was your dad like overly bearing like like your coach or was he just taking you where you needed to go like what was that relationship like no i it, it was like it was honestly fine is uh, i i say these stories but they're they're actually all like humorous to me yeah um i i'm i'm so grateful that he did that i love that you and i now when i'm 34 years old i could tell you that story mm-hmm. so i'm grateful for so many of the things that that he did do i think he i think he pushed me right to the point of where uh, a, like a kid probably needs to be pushed and then let coaches kind of take over after that i think he did he did a pretty good job and then he did the high school around high school time really back off let the let the coaches kind of take over mm-hmm. now did you what grade were you in when you and uh when you and griff and tony siebert got together i was a junior in high school so yeah. i just i won i remember i won fargo my sophomore year i beat metcalf in the finals of that one and then i got a call from griff like three days later he had just gotten hired he's congratulations national champ like let's start getting after it and from the moment i met griff i like i i fell in love with wrestling so much he was he was the coolest guy to me i was so enamored by him and being able to wrestle with him and tony siebert every day for two years in high school that's that's what got me to another level so a lot of people get put in lucky situations if i didn't have those guys i don't think i would have been as good Mm -hmm. so i like like it takes it takes ten thousand hours to be to be a master at something. Bill Gates' dad worked worked in a computer 
worked for a computer company that he had access to get into at night. Right. I just somehow these two amazing guys, Tony and Griff, just showed up at my doorstep. I got so lucky and it made me, it made me really good. And I'm sure Tony's going to listen to this. I beat him when I was in high school. What, no, I don't give, I don't care what he says. I beat him in high school. Did you ever get to wrestle Eric when you were in high school as well? Uh, I, I feel like Eric came by one time and I was able to wrestle with him, but no, Eric, Eric I think Eric was probably like too big, too big. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm surprised, you know, back, you know, now at least I didn't even know Highland park. Yeah. You were their first state champ, but were you guys thinking about transferring or do you think about going to the private schools if you weren't going to get new coaches in, or was there no thought of that back then? No, I, I had the worst wrestling coach my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, the guy was terrible. He knew nothing about wrestling. Um, and after my sophomore year, my dad and I started looking for apartments in Park Ridge. I was going to go to Maine South. Nick Falico was one of my best friends. Uh, we trained all the time together. So that was, that was the plan. We were, we were openly shopping where to live. Uh, we were going we to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- during that time, Griff got hired. Gotcha. That's pretty sweet. I mean, when you're a young guy, like a high school guy, and you get an assistant coach that was an All-American, I mean, if, for those of us who have been fortunate to have that, it's just like you idolize the person. You know, like if they're like, you're bigger than your big brother, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, Griff took eighth. There's no shame in it, but it was, that was, it was amazing that he just placed. I mean, senior yeah. year took eighth. I love Griff to death, and that's, and that's a, a, a title and a credential that he's going to be proud of for the rest of his life, and he's going to have. Griff's an All-American. But even at kind of that level of taking eighth, I love Griff, but even I was that obsessed with him, even with, even with that. Yeah. Now, before he got there, though, you mentioned you, know, you were the, the Fargo King from, from when I was in middle school. I know you wouldn't call yourself that, but you beat Metcalf in the finals. That's, that's pretty amazing. What was your workout routine like back then? Were you going all summer long like the kids are now? I think I was better over the summer because I put less pressure on myself. Mm. So when it was a little more relaxed and I didn't have as many nerves, I felt like that was where I, um, I wrestled my best and Fargo. I, I remember bouncing around almost, almost in like the twilight zone, wondering why I wasn't so nervous. Hmm. Um, and I think the match with Metcalf, I think my whole life, I've never, I don't think I've ever been such an underdog where everyone picked against me. I think probably every match I've ever been in, I had a chance to win. And I don't think there was one person in the gym that was, that thought I could beat Metcalf. Metcalf was God at the time. So I think a matter of kind of less pressure and being able to open up was the reason that I did really well there. So So I ended up going, I hate this, the the time that I really brag, I like smile. I love when people bring up Fargo around me. I get like Merck and I'm going, ask me how I did. Ask me how I did. Ask me how I did. How'd you do baby? This is the thing I'll really brag about. So all four years I went, um, I was in the finals every year. I won it freshman year, sophomore year, and senior year. My, my junior year, I lost to C.P. Schlater in somewhat of a controversial match, like five to four. So I, w- I would have been 40-0 and 0 with four titles, but I went 39-1. and 1. Man, dude, that's incredible. That's like, it's, Illinois has such a, uh, they put such an emphasis on Fargo, and it's, it's, you know, you were around when Illinois started winning those things. I mean, back then, they'd win every style there was there. They'd go four for four, you know, as a team. Yeah, and I, I think the people that get a, that deserve a lot of credit uh, aren't, and I think that's Don Reynolds and Mike Irwin and mm-hmm. the, the kind of the guys that are running ILUSAW and IKWF. Uh, I don't think any any people in any other state work as hard as those guys do. So yeah. uh, a lot of, a lot of credit I think goes to those guys, and they really started taking off. I think when around when you and I were that young, because like because Donnie Reynolds was about to start it, so I think that's when Don really got involved, but. I think, I think, I don't know. I think Don just does a really, really good job with it. Yeah, he's they're They're just super organized. That's what I've always heard about IKWF at Illinois Freestyle Greco. It's really organized. Now you, um, you know, outside of your, your Fargo dominance back when you were wrestling at the Illinois high school state tournament, it was two divisions, no true wrestlebacks, no seating. And anyone who knows anything about Illinois wrestling, your first two years, you were seated or favored to win it um, or right there didn't happen both years. I want to go into that a little bit because I'm sure you use that now with your wrestlers talking about you know, using pressure and, and wrestling in big moments. Your freshman year at state, you were undefeated. Were you the number one seed your freshman year at high school? 
they they didn't seed. I mean, like number one right. Yeah, they didn't seed. They, like number uh, one rank, People were probably 50-50 between me and uh, Tony Preto. Okay. At that time. And so you lost in the first round, and then, you know, that could happen to anyone. But then your sophomore year, it was either Berman or Manzella. I can't remember which one. Oh, same, te- same team. Uh, Cl- Ryan Klinger. 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 I mean, and you knew you were a national champ. I mean, what do you remember of, you know, those two matches, losing in the first round? Obviously, extremely painful. But what do you remember about that in terms of just, like, man, how the heck do I get through this? Or what, what was it that was the monkey on your back? I don't think the mental side affected those performances. I, I was cutting way too much weight. Really? I think, but I, and I say the, the mental side because I think the reason I was cutting so much weight. When I got into high school, I put, so, I put guys on such a high pedestal that were older than me. And I probably should have been a 112 pounder my freshman year, but I cut all the way down to 103 because guys like Cassio Perel, Brian Dyer, um, like I, w- I, was, I didn't think I could beat them. Or I really like feared those guys. They had a, they were older and had a ton of success already. Mm-hmm. So I just cut right past them. Uh, I'm at 103. I I lose to Zach Berman my first match. Now the quarters are that night. I got to make one like 106 the next day or something like that. I weighed like one. I weighed 120. I'm not kidding. I was 15 pounds over that night. And when Berman was wrestling in this quarterfinal match, I'm in the stands. I'm I'm praying. I'm closing my eyes, praying that he's going to lose, so I don't have to make weight the next day. I'm, I was so over. I worked, I did not go to sleep. I worked out all night there. I don't think there was an ounce of liquid in my body. I got on the scale, made weight the next day and took third. When you look back on it, I'm so, I'm so happy that I took third, like that he didn't lose. I didn't get knocked out at the time though. I, I was, I was praying that he would lose. You were truly that heavy back then as a, it was, it was, it was probably one of the way it was one Oh six. I think, I think that's what it was at the time you had to make from one Oh three. And I, I was at least 10 pounds over. And if you're talking one Oh three, that's a, that's, that's a uh, college 57 pounder being 20 over. Sure. Sure. Like, yeah. Uh, three pounder, but yeah. it was, I cut, I cut way too much weight my freshman and sophomore year. And I could say that that was the reason I lost, but I, it was, it was, I think my mindset of why I cut so much weight. I was trying to avoid people. It's hard to believe because you're such a, you know, you're a confident person and it, you know, when wrestlers who think, Hey, you know, maybe they have some self-doubts, they look at you and say, well, even, even he had them. So, I mean, I'm sure it helps you relate to your guys, even back when you were running the Academy. The, I, that's my biggest thing. I want them to know how, how nervous and how much anxiety I got, because I think a lot of kids feel that and they think that's bad. They think they're going to lose because of it. They think they're going to, they're going to look bad or, or get really tired because of the nerves. And that's mm-hmm. how I was. I, I wasn't at peace with them enough that accepting of them, loving them. And you're always, you're obviously always going to be uncomfortable going out to a wrestling match. But if I could have just accepted it more and just said, I love it. And, and actually like kind of said to myself, give me more. I can take more of this. Yeah. Make me more tired. Make me more nervous. Speaking to myself, God, something spiritual. I don't know what it is, but as nervous as you're making me for this match, make me more nervous. This is it. And kind of those, those things bring it, I feel like, to uh, a normal level, a more normal level. You are about to go to a, it, into something that is very difficult. It's not like you're just going to the fridge and grabbing something that's insignificant. You should be pretty nervous going out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one in a thousand, the people that are just really not nervous. I don't know how they're like that. It's just their makeup. Um, but I think I want my wrestlers to do better than I did. I want all of them to win national titles. I feel like I was, I, I'm, I'm part of this program to get a team title, not an individual title. That's the way I look at it right, right now. Um, but me telling them, all right, I took second, second, third. So to these guys that haven't done it yet, that's that they would love that. Yeah. A lot of them would probably love to have that. So them knowing how nervous I got, they go, okay, Puerto was insanely nervous. He, the things that he's told us before, how he's gone to the bathroom a hundred times in 10 minutes before a match <laughs> and just praying that like the match before would go into overtime or the clock would go out, just postpone it a little bit. Um, when you they hear that, these, when they hear some of these things, well, it's, it's, I, I was, I was super confident, but at times if I didn't feel confident, I didn't, I didn't want to go out there. So yeah. it was like kind of a bad, if I felt good, then I was kind of good, but it was just a, a matter of getting lucky enough to get that way. Yeah. Um, so them, them kind of knowing that coach, coach Porta has results that I would, I would be okay with having, and he was that nervous. I can get it. I could, the way I feel, I know that now I can do it. 
And we did a survey with all of our alumni because we're, we've been doing Zoom meetings with our team once a week. Like we have a regular scheduled once a week one. And then if something kind of happens where uh, uh, spur of the moment, something comes up, which we actually had Lincoln McAravey on for one of them, which I want to talk about him. I mean, it, he like blew my mind. Um, Absolutely. But um, so trying to get, uh, trying to get creative with the Zoom meetings and uh, hang on, give me one second. I got to remember my train of thought where we were going. Well, you're with saying it. that you've surveyed people. Oh, about- we surveyed, we surveyed the alumni. So um, it, you have, you have Adam Terpelli's, you have Steve Marinetti's, um, you have Brian Glenn, couple time All-American, uh, you have Mark Janes, you have Cassio Perros, you have John Durgos, you have Jordan Blanton's. Um, and, and then also you have guys, and I, and I know guys took pride in being on the team and helping guys accomplish th- those things. You have, you have another tier of guys mm-hmm. that maybe only started a year, that maybe only got to the round of 12, or maybe helped someone become a national champ. So kind of seeing their, uh, their, their thoughts on a lot of different questions and topics. And to me, the most glaring thing is ev- everyone's talking the way I'm talking right now is everyone, everyone really dealt with this thing. And, um, it's the guy, the guys that, um, the guys that were really successful that won it, they just, that voice was there. They didn't listen to it. And then they, they compensated with, with, with such, uh, such good preparation in every other category to compensate for it. But, but all these guys really struggled with the mental side. And it's like, that's the thing you think sometimes, even before every interview, I get nervous, but then you think, does Conor McGregor get nervous for a fight? Sometimes you think he might not, but of course he does, you know? And so because of his bravado, Conor McGregor with it, with his, um, with, with what he's like created for himself, like the perception, he's probably more nervous than anybody, but there is a fake it till you make it. I mean, that's going to the guy that he's going to fight, that he's going to fight. That's going to affect him. And I think fake it till you make it is important. I never, I never let on to the way I felt. I always stuck my chest out. I bounced around like I was going to whoop your ass. Right. And I, and I gave I you perception, but it was, it was all fake it till you make it. Dude, even Mike Tyson said that every time he was walking to the, to, I was going to say octagon, but walking to the ring, like during that walkout, he secretly would hope like one of the lights would just fall on him or something until he got into the ring. It's like. I've it's, told, I, it's, no, it's like that. I mean, it, you're, there's, but it's all self-induced pressure. That's the mm-hmm. thing. It's all pressure. If, if you talk, if you talk to people and they can, and they can help you through these things um, and give you good advice, you're like, fi- you're like immediately fine. And you can, and you can deal with them really well. I think it's people that just don't have a good grasp on it yet. And it's all just, it's, it's pressure that you are putting on yourself. Cause I don't know, maybe you haven't learned how to deal with it yet. You're not mature enough or what the answer is. But I mean, I, I remember bouncing around before I was going to wrestle Burroughs going, man, I, I hope the power goes out. Not that I don't want to wrestle this match or be a national champ. I don't feel perfect right now. I think that was the problem. I wanted to feel perfect. I wanted everything to go perfect. Um, and when, I was, when I'd be bouncing around in the tunnel and I'd be really nervous and I was cold and I'm, and I'm not feeling perfect, I wanted to postpone it. I wanted, I wanted to wrestle the match and I wanted to win it. I wanted all those titles. And I loved it. But I never wanted a bad performance. So if I didn't feel perfect, it really, really started getting to me. And do you think it's putting an emphasis on the winning and losing versus the preparation? hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's just it's just winning. It's all your focus. It's win. It's you're focused on winning and avoiding all the hard things that it's going to take to to win it. What was a match where you felt you mentioned Metcalf? Maybe that's the one that comes to mind where you felt just running on all cylinders going into it. You felt so good. In my whole life, it's weird that one that Metcalf one sticks out like warming up. I don't know why, but. I think I wrestled really – so people, like, have asked me, what's your favorite match in some interviews that I've done or clinics to show people? And I go, there, there's not one match I'm happy with from start to finish. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of highlights from a lot of matches that I really like, but I don't think I've, I'm satisfied with a start-to-finish match. Uh, out of nowhere, like – and I, I think maybe you put this out. Someone put out the match I wrestled Welch in the Big Ten Finals. Yeah. And I went back and watched it, and, and I, I was like, man, I – Russell good there yeah <laughs> but I think that, was, that was a good one start to finish and I, I remember I got I got like I got such a good warm-up I was like I was like I was just on warming up it was all looking good I know I people were like looking at me Durgo was making everything feel good for me being a good partner and I remember I was sweating so much coach Johnson even said he's like he's like are you all right but I was like <laughs> I'm, I'm like ready to go right now this is crazy how I feel 
Did you mention the name John Dergo? I can't help but imagine back to what an absolute animal he was in the football field. Our team played him one year. He was like one of the most talked about football studs that I can remember from, from, uh, from the high school days, dude. He's an the animal. Mo- the Morris, the whole school football highlight tape is John Dergo's individual highlight tape. <laughs> I don't think they put another kid in it. And the survey we did, this is, if you know John Dergo, this is, this is way funnier. We asked every guy what their best performance was. And then we asked what led to that. John put a football accomplishment. John put, John put a game where they played the number four team in the country and he got five touchdowns <laughs> as his best performance in a wrestling survey. <laughs> Dude, I don't know him at all, but I mean, I, if you saw that kid play, you would believe it because our school actually played them in the semifinals and we all went up there and not a lot of people knew about his wrestling. I'm like, I don't know how good of a football player he is, but he was like freakishly good at wrestling. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's amazing. And he just fucking killed us, dude. Like destroyed us. It was unbelievable. So John, John was with, and if people know John Durgo, these, they're all funnier. Like you kind of got to know this kid. He has the most lovable teddy bear there is. No, everyone loves John Durgo. And, uh, he was, he was with his friends. He tells this story and it's funny. Be just, uh, it's just, it's a funny story. When you know him, he was walking down the street at Eastern Illinois with his friends and someone was on their grass. They were drunk. They were wrestling people and saying, I'm the best wrestler. Nobody can beat me. And John Durgo was walking down the street with his friends at this time. And when a lot of good wrestlers, they, they always get volunteered for every fight. Like <laughs> you don't want to fight. You have, you're having a good time. You have no intention, but if anything is kind of happening and there's any friction or anything needs to happen, everyone's pushing you to go fight the person. Like you're just, okay, we got to fight with these people. You go beat them up now. So Durgo's, Durgo's friends make him go wrestle this guy. So John just immediately takes him down and the guy stands up and he's like all winded. He's got his hands over his head and he goes, man, you're not a very good wrestler, but you're really strong. <laughs> And we're talking, and, and this is John. John had won the Big Tens six weeks earlier. Oh, my God. That guy could have seriously been – he's lucky John was so nice with them. There would be guys who would go freaking go ballistic on someone like that, you know? For sure. John, John's a te- he's a teddy bear. He probably, he probably did not have as, as successful as a college career as, uh, as he should have or himself admittedly will think he had. Um, yeah, there's losses that he that he still takes hard that he still makes fun of him about himself about. Really, there's a uh, those, those were good times for Illinois, and I've heard you say in the past, like right before you got to college, Illinois was one of the top teams. I mean, I know they never they never got on the podium for Mark, which still hurts me to even think about. But I mean, they had national champs pretty consistently back then. John Johnson had seven national champs in eight years, right? And, and- they're their team in 2001 had two national champs, a second, a third, and a couple round of 12 guys. And that team took fifth place, did not get a trophy. You had four, you had four guys in the top three and two champs. That team, the amount of points they had would have taken second place 10 other times when Johnson was coaching. Wow. So his be- his, the, the best team that he put together, unfortunately, landed in the year Minnesota had 10 All-Americans. And Iowa was still Iowa, what they kind of got themselves back to. Uh, it was just an unfortunate thing. Um, and yeah, Illinois it, sucked before that. Like, before he got there in, like, 90-whatever, like, he went to Oregon State for real quick and then came there. Illinois hadn't won a Big Ten duel in years. I mean, they were terrible. They weren't even a wrestling team. They were, like, an intramural team. Right. They used to – they th- there was, like, zero respect. They, they used to pra- – their locker room and where they practiced were in different buildings. So they had to in the winter practice and then walk walk to down the street to their locker room. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, you look at what they did. I mean, they built up the program and in you know to to national caliber when you were there. Um, yeah, it's just it's just amazing to see what see what's been done there. Now you're back there now. What is it like recruiting? I've heard you say it's super competitive. And when I say what's it like, I guess what I mean is I've heard you say it's more competitive than you thought. How do you mean that? I mean, what is it? What's the day in day out of recruiting now that you're trying to build them back up to a national program? I think just the, I think coaches or maybe kids feel like the kid doesn't think that they're 100% wanted by the school. If they're not calling and texting them like all day long, 
And I think kids start to go, okay, if this school is calling and texting me every single day, does Illinois really want me if they're only doing it every three or four days? And I've told kids like what it, it's like, it gets to the point where you and I are going to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And I know you need to, you want to build this relationship and any questions you have. And we want, we want this to be the right fit, get you on campus and then kind of make a decision off that. I, I guess I didn't realize that it was going to be with the same kid, a, a, a more daily thing. Daily. You're saying some, so there's like, there's like a top 10 recruit. He's definitely getting hit up daily from coaches. I actually, I actually think these kids go this, this, I think they're, this is their six weeks from the day they can start getting recruited. I think they go, this is the, I'm the coolest person in the world. Penn state, Ohio state, this school, Illinois, these guys are texting me. I guarantee they brag to their friends and um, they think they're really special. After about six weeks of their phone buzzing all day long, I think they're actually sick of it. Oh, yeah. Process. I think that's why kids start, start committing early. Man. And it's much different from when you were there. I mean, I've heard you say that it was pretty much Northwestern because you were working out with Rob Eider, Illinois, because, uh, because of Griff. Oklahoma came in. But you, know, you were like one of the top recruits, if not the top recruit, your senior year. What was that experience like for you? There was uh, – there was no texting. I don't, I'm honestly not even sure if I had a cell phone. Um, but it was like a phone, a phone call like every week or two from the I coaches. Dominic having a no cell phone policy back then. No, no, he, <laughs> no, he was not like that. No, no, he, he was loose. He was okay. like, he was, he was both, he was both sides. Um, I, I committed early to Illinois, way earlier than kids did at that time because I, same thing, I just wanted to get it over with. I knew I, I kind of knew I was going to going to go to Illinois and I, I started feeling bad for other coaches. I started feeling like, like an a-hole, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm letting this coach call me and give me his spiel for 30, 45 minutes. And I know I'm not going there. Like it's, I, I don't think that's right to them. Yeah. Now that's, it's tough for a kid to kid to have to call a coach and say, no, I mean, extremely tough. Yes. It's probably the hardest, probably the hardest thing they can do. Um, now they can sort of get off the hook. I think it kind of is not the most correct message, but they can get away with just texting you back. Now. Yeah. So they, they do kind of get, get off the hook. But I mean, what I, I my, my stance on that is it's, you just got to be brave for five seconds. That's mm-hmm. all it takes. You got to be brave for five seconds, then it's done with. Right. Now, one of the guys who, I don't know if you coached him when he was in college was, were you coaching at Illinois when Imar was there? Yeah. So his, his senior year. So I know he just left, which is, you know, I think it's good for him. Obviously it's good for him to have that, that coaching job. It's tough for the Illinois RTC. What about Imar makes him such a a special wrestler? I mean, you've gone with him probably more than anyone. What sticks out to you? Like his competitiveness, his strength, um, and kind of like his love for the sport. I would say those are the three things that really make him special. Uh, up until I wrestled Isaiah, Andrew Howe was like ridiculous. Andrew was not, he's not a human being. And then grabbing Isaiah, Isaiah is like in that stratosphere, like where it's, it almost kind of doesn't feel fair. Yeah. Uh, so when Isaiah, the first time Isaiah and I went, now I don't, I hadn't wrestled in a while. I kind of didn't know where I was at. I was just wrestling with high school kids and I'm going like, I just don't like, just don't like get killed. Just don't get killed. It's been, it's been six, seven years since I've wrestled with anyone like really, really good. And uh, I got the first two takedowns. There you go. So when Isaiah was, was leaving now, him and I had a heart-to-heart moments. Um, and the thing is, what I, I hope everyone knows how cordial everything was. Isaiah loves us. We love Isaiah. We wish him the best. Um, and then our, we're going to bring other guys in and move forward also. But Isaiah and I had like a really – nice heart to heart. And, uh, I said, Isaiah, you got to remember one thing for the rest of your life. It's really important. And I paused for a while in the text. Like I didn't write anything for like 20 minutes. I said, I got the first two takedowns. <laughs> Dude, I'm sure, I'm sure he remembers that as well. But he, so as it went on though, I mean, he just started kicking my ass worse and worse. Uh, it got to the point where like when he was starting to train for Burroughs later on, if I could not get teched, I, I, I was celebrating. I was doing what Kendall Cross's celebration if Isaiah didn't tech me in a match. Because I was like, all right, I'm, I'm being that competitive that I was actually able to make it to six minutes. Um, so when I, when I first got to Illinois, it was Isaiah absolutely beat me. 
but there were days I was kind of getting them. And there were days I would sneak in on situations. There was days I'd win a go. Not as one every five, one every six. Isaiah Isaiah is better than me. He was better than me in college and he is better than me now. But I was sneaking some stuff in. And I was really happy with myself. And then one day it just all changed. Isaiah, he started not, it it wasn't wrestling anymore. He started degrading me. He was beating me so bad. I mean, he (laughs) he was face smushing me. Isaiah was face smushing me to cut me. And that was actually really bad for the two guys who get paid to mop the mats because I was able to see how filthy the mats were every day because he just smushed my face in it. So those guys got in a lot of trouble because I would see how much hair and dust and dirt was on it. Oh my God, dude. So I didn't, I didn't know what the connection was of Isaiah of like this 180. This kid who wrestled at Stevenson, who I was, who I was very tight with in high school and he's on the team now and I'm still really tight with. His name's Nikita Nepomayishki, a Russian okay. kid. and um, so he just is telling me this story out of nowhere. And he said, uh, Isaiah was in the locker room. And Isaiah's at this, the time of all this, Isaiah's a senior and he's still wrestling. He goes, Isaiah was in the locker room and Isaiah knows how tight me and Nikita are. And he asked me who would have won in college, me or Poeta. And Nikita said to Isaiah, Poeta. It was the next day where he started just degrading me. And the, <laughs> Nikita, was, Nikita was off the mat with a shoulder injury. And he was taking me down. And when he was shoving my face in the mat and cutting me, he was looking at Nikita and winking at him. And the thing is, though, I love it. Like when I found that out, I I like that. So absolutely. It's like the the Michael Jordan stories you hear. Like he would use anything to get a rise out of himself. Like if someone didn't say hi to him on a golf course, he would use that as motivation for the next game. I mean, Imar has that killer instinct the same way. Oh, for sure. I caddied for Michael Jordan one time also. But when I caddied. But yeah, Isaiah hold on, was. Hold uh, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I hope Michael Jordan hears this, and I hope he sends me a check. Let's hear it. What's so? Was he a cool I guy? For, I caddy for Michael Jordan and Mike Dicka together. I was in probably eighth grade. They were in carts. It was a foursome. You have no idea how fast they play because they're because they're betting so much, and they and they just want they wanted the game to go fast. They played forty five holes. I, I was, I was forecanning the whole time. So I was, I was running, I was marking their balls. I was cleaning the traps, fixing divots, doing all that stuff. So we're coming up the last, the 45th hole and Dicka is mother effing Jordan about how much money Jordan just won off him. And he, and he makes a point to tell Jordan that he's cheap and make sure you take care of this caddy. This caddy did a great job. Don't be cheap. Like you normally are. Take care of them. So when we pull into the clubhouse, uh, everyone calls Dick a coach. Coach is so mad. He goes to the driving range to like probably just bash the hell out of ball, <laughs> like whatever direction they went. And uh, I'm cleaning Jordan's clubs. He's filling out the scorecard. He gets out of the cart. He comes to me, gives me or shakes my hand, says, hey, thank you. And then walks in the clubhouse. And the club I caddied at in Highland Park was all tips. You didn't get any the club didn't give you any money. So you, that all you made was what they gave you. And I just caddied for 45 holes for Michael Jordan and Mike Dicka. And at this point I had made nothing. I had, I made zero at this because they, everyone was gone. So I made my way to the, the driving range. And again, I'm 14 years old. I'm trembling. I go, uh, Hey coach, Jordan didn't give me anything. And Dicka takes this wad out of his pocket and he's, I don't, people can't see me, but he's like where you would just be throwing down hundreds one after another. And he's mother effing Jordan. I can't believe blah, blah, blah. And he gives me $500 cash. And I'm in eighth grade. I mean, that's, that's an eighth grader getting a couple grand right now at the time. So I'm obsessed with Michael Jordan. The last dance is so amazing. I actually have crazy stories about my parents with a lot of those players. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I caddy for Jordan and he, he didn't give me anything, but he's, he's, uh, Outside of wrestling, I, I can't believe how inspiring a basketball player is being to me. Like, I loved him. And, and you and I probably have more, more love for him being Illinois kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, I mean, I really, really like him. And the last dance and all that stuff was amazing. But, yeah, he stiffed me. Literally he, didn't uh, give you a dollar? What the heck? Uh, stiffed Like, me. why? I didn't say, well, I'll tell you what. When I took his bag around to his car, he had a couple less golf balls that had the Air Jordan logo on it. Absolutely. I mean, because they used to practice in the North Burbs, right? Um, they practice at the Birdo Center, which so a lot of them lived in Highland Park. Here now, I, I could like almost send you a picture of my house. I had a very modest house, 
around the corner within five houses was Bill Cartwright, Scottie Pippen, and Tony Kukoc within five houses of me. So my, my dad was really good friends with Bill Cartwright. And I'm talking, we're to seven, one and five, four. <laughs> they were like best friends. And, um, my brother is scared to death of dogs to this day because Scottie Pippen's Rottweiler ran after my brother like he was going to bite him and uh, just got up to him and just started licking him. And there was like no problem with it. But uh, my brother is scared to death of dogs still to this day. Man, I bet, I bet you saw some high rollers coming through that Highland Park Country Club all the time, that golf course. But here, my brother Katie for Tiger Woods there. That's, that's, that's where the cash is at. My brother, my, my brother is uh, probably 37, has uh, two kids, another on the way. And his like profile pictures are still him and Tiger when he caddied for him. <laughs> Does he live in the, live in the Chicago area still? He lives in Deerfield. Okay. So that's up in that, up in that same area, man. Um, God, that's good stuff, dude. I can't believe that about Jordan though. I'm with you on the last dance. It's unbelievable. I, 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 I think I've watched it twice now. I think like just random episodes as I put them on. Dude, I'm, uh, I'm doing some audio documentaries on, uh, I have a couple in the works, but one of which is on the 2014 Oak Park team. And I know you had a couple guys on your team. They had five finalists, four champs, 10 placers. Um, but you, got, you have two guys on your team who actually wrestled Oak Park kids that 2014 season. One was Baroni, who lost to Larry Early. Mm-hmm. and the other that was, was emory parker who, people remember that it, it was such bs i've watched it several times it, it, it's a, it was a controversial they called it, stalemate. Yeah, they called it stalemate right yeah oh my god baroni i think it would have won that match people went ballistic well, they hated oak park anyway but they went ballistic when they called that stalemate yeah. and then in the finals that year camille kamal bay wrestled emory parker yeah but uh from what i hear from pal he's like dude emory parker has gotten so he was good in high school but it's gotten like jumped levels better I mean, throughout his career, um, he was kind of unknown at that point from what I, I don't, I don't know if the state knows that, that Emory Parker is the Parker family from the sixties and seventies and eighties, his, his, his dad and uncles were the considered the Williams brothers and there, and there was more and there was more of them. So I, I don't know if they've had more state titles or how it is, but, uh, Emory's uncles were like kind of the family of Illinois wrestling for a long time. Emory's uncle was a NCAA champ in college. He coached at Michigan state for a while. Um, so Emory comes from a really big wrestling background and, but he, I don't know if he didn't take it as serious or what, but I started coaching him towards the end of his junior year and he didn't qualify for state and he hadn't qualified for state yet. And him and I worked out twice a day from that point on until the state finals with Kamal Bay. Really? And, uh, and then he went, so he went from not qualifying for state to being in the finals. And now I look at that. That's the same as Griff Powell and Tony Siebert just landed in my lap. That's how I was for Emory. Um, and, and the thing is these guys put in all the work, but again, if I, I don't think if I show up there, Emory is at where he's at and that's not, that's nothing against Emory. Replace me with anybody that was a successful wrestler that had like, you know, a passion and was really motivated and, put anyone in there for Emory. Emory's going to do what he did. Um, so then Emory's senior year. Yeah. He makes it to the finals. He loses, he loses, unfortunately loses to Kamal Bay. And I just remember after Emory, Emory crying and saying, I feel like I let everyone down. I'm like, Emory, shut up. Are you kidding me? I go, the fact that you just made it, that, that you've made it to the finals with where you came from. I go, I've been crying all night in my hotel room for you. I go, it's, you have no idea how, how um, impressed I am with you and happy I am for you. Um, but kind of the wrestling family that he had, he thought he, he felt like he let everyone down and it's, and what sucks about Emory is that uh, you always have to put down his past failures to pump up his six future success because you got to say, all right, he never qualified for state until senior year. It's like, well, it's not like the, it's not the best credential to be known for. Right. Never qualified for state in high school until he's a senior in high school. You could but, just say he's a state runner up, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of all it, it, when we, you know what I mean? Around recruits and around different people, you're always saying like, look, look where he came from. Look at where he was a few years ago and, mm-hmm. and the whole, look at where the hard work got him. Um, yeah. And then he ends up taking third and fifth in the country. And I'll tell you what, uh, Shakur Rashid, I last two, two seasons ago. So 18, 19, uh, why he was the two seed at the big 10 tournament and still, and still a high seed at the NCAA tournament. 
uh, never made sense to me. And I thought it was complete BS. And what that did was put Emery on Miles Martin's side for both of them. And uh, Shakur Rashid sat out against Miles Martin, Emery Parker, Taylor Venz, and one other of the top guys during the Big Ten season. And they gave him the two seed. And that really, really rubbed me the wrong way. Because now I, this is the way I look at it. Emery's in the finals against Miles Martin at the Big Ten tournament. Now Emery is, because of that, win or lose, will be on opposite sides of Miles Martin at the NCAA tournament. And Miles, how he didn't win it, I mean, is, is a, a fluke thing. But you want to be on opposite sides as him. Yeah. I mean, people kind of would rather. Absolutely. So then putting, then putting Rashid to Emory four, that really messed up towards the end of his senior year where it put him. I know we're talking about college wrestling and politics a little bit. Let me hit, let me hit you with this. I, I've rarely asked people about this. What do you think the long game is with the RTCs in the colleges? Is it something where you have to go all in on it? Or, I mean, there's schools like Oklahoma State where they don't really do it. You guys brought Medlin in. How involved is the RTCs with the recruiting and just the overall success of a college program? Well, first off, I think Brian Medlin is the best RTC, I mean, slash just coach in the country. He's, he's as dedicated as I've ever seen and passionate. I think he does a really good job and he really knows what's up. And um, I think the, the RTCs are really important with, they're really important with, with recruiting. They're, they're, they're so important in so many aspects. It, you can get a kid there. You can, you can tout training partners. You can tout that you're going to be in our RTC after. Look, we have it set up for you to accomplish your Olympic and world uh, aspirations. Um, so it's, it's huge in that aspect. And the thing is, I don't, they wrestle with the college guys. I mean, it's college guys have the best partners, right? Everyone, everyone finagles it to figure out how that their college guys can be in there for them and training with them. All, I mean, all and, and the thing is, it's all legal. You can legally have your college guys wrestle with them and it makes them, and it makes the college guys better. So a lot, a lot of different aspects. And the yeah. thing, the, the college coaches, I know no, number one is always the program before the RTC, but you want, you want a strong RTC and you, and you want your RTC to really be able to help your program. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, it seems like they go hand in hand with one another. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go somewhere where at the end of four years you can make a living doing what you love? I mean, who, who would, who would not want that, you know? For sure. And when, and that's probably the reason that I left Illinois, uh, in 2010 is that there were, there were no RTC there, there weren't any RTCs and the Cliff Keen wrestling club just, just committed to, to fundraising a lot of money and just having one of the best RTCs. And it was, it was a, a training situation that I just couldn't pass up Yeah, because uh, Illinois, I would, I, I was going to be on staff and I mean, I really, really wanted to put everything into making a world an Olympic team. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be at, at Illinois. And it was kind of a situation that like Isaiah's in, it was just like a, I, I love it so much. Just where I'm at right now, I just need to be at this other place. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking at the Cliff Keen Wrestling Club. It was, it was me, Jimmy Kennedy, Josh Trella, Jake Herbert, Andrew Howe, and Tyrell Todd. Those were the practices every single day. Wow. I tell people about, uh, and I want to hit on, before we hop off here, 2010, uh, the World Cup that you went to. But I tell people all the time, and I know you'll remember this, can you remember a youth wrestler as feared as Jimmy Kennedy back in the day? Yeah, Kendra Kennedy. Dude, for real though, you're right. She qualified. There's there's a picture floating around somewhere of Kendra in like fourth grade wrestling, and I'm there's muscles that like and a, a physiologist wouldn't even know existed. <laughs> I heard She's the most shredded thing, and the, and I don't know if you've ever seen Jimmy's mom. Jimmy's mom is shredded. No. And I loved, and I love Jimmy's mom, but I always say to Jimmy, I go, Jimmy, it's so unfair. You have, you have the genes of two dads, like no, <laughs> no schnikes. You're so good. Dude. He was, he was terrifying. Um, as a kid, he was unbelievable. Now, 2010, you wrestled at the world cup in Russia. Let's just kind of wind down with that. What was your journey to make that team? What do you remember from that trip over to Russia? Like, who'd you have to wrestle to get on the team in the first place? Uh, they took the world medalists from 2009 were automatically the guys. Uh, I don't, I think maybe Schlater was the guy in nine and my weight the year before and didn't place. And so they just did like a round Robin wrestle off with who they considered the best three, four guys. And, uh, I just, I won the wrestle off. Mm-hmm. So, and it was, um, the one at the Olympic training center was against Trent Paulson. And then, uh, Trent still came with and, we, he and him and I both ended up wrestling because Herbert got hurt up at 84 
So one of us was jumping some, some serious weight to go up. Dude, that's but it, was, it was just, it was just a wrestle off. I mean, it was probably the, the coolest, most prestigious thing I was a part of. It was, it was amazing. I really, uh, that's a really cool thing when I think back on it. I mean, do a world cup in Russia where you know that Iran's going to be there. You know, Russia's definitely bringing their best guys. It's cool because not every world cup does everyone bring a team period, but their best guys, you know, but you know, if it's in like Iran, everyone's bringing it, especially Russia. I mean, and obviously we know Russia goes crazy for wrestling. That's the, that's the Mecca. But um, how long were you over there for? Any, any crazy stories that you can remember from that, that trip? Um, no, I'm, I'm not really sure right off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, all the, all the teams brought their main guys. Mm-hmm. Like Russia had Kudakov and it had Godoyev, the guy that ended up being Burroughs at the Olympics. Um, it had Yurashev, it had like, it had their main guys. Um, I, I was, my problem was I was too enamored with these guys. Like I, I was obsessed with them, like watching them and learning from them. And then, and then being in the tournament, I, I don't, I think I did, I felt like I didn't belong maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible to even see those guys up close, let alone wrestle in Russia. Um, pretty cool thing. This is the thing to any kid. They're not as good as you think. And that's at every single level. I just, the only reason they, they, the, the main reason they beat me is because I put them on too high of a pedestal. Mm. So it's all every it's, it's so, it's like so hard to beat these guys, but it's not as hard as you think it is before, like just thinking about it. Yeah. So like though it, they're, these guys are beatable when you wrestle with them. I just, I don't think I, I put them too much, uh, too high on a pedestal. Do you think that's a learned skill to be able to, to learn how to mitigate that? For sure. It's, it's kind of just experience. You just got to go get a hold of them and then you kind of go, Oh yeah. And you said earlier, when you guys interviewed Lincoln McElroy for your Zooms, there was something that jumped out there. I wanted to hit on that before we signed off. What do you remember about Lincoln joining your, uh, your, team, your team Illinois Zoom that you had, you were, you've been having recently? He said, um, he said I, if I could go back, I wish I would have tried to figure out how to beat Lincoln McElroy about mm-hmm. himself. So kind of looking at, uh, looking at your weaknesses and kind of like doubling down on them and really, really uh, working on those instead of continuing to do what we're already so good at over and over and over. At. So mm-hmm. kind of looking at, that for, for looking at it from that perspective, if I would say to myself when I was wrestling, all right, how would I have beaten myself? I think that would have taken me a really long ways if I would have looked at it from that perspective. I like that. That's applicable to anything. Um, yeah, you can't. When I'm talking to an Illinois guy, I can't help but think of Steve Marinetti when someone says Lincoln McElroy, just because that's one of my favorite finals matches of all time. But uh, And Brian Glenn says that he never took down Steve Marinetti, ever. Not even close, not a lick, nothing. <laughs> I had to. Uh, when, when, I, I love Lincoln McElroy, and it was so um, – I, I, it was great that he came on to, you know, an Illinois team. It was, it was one of our RTC ones, though. But That's sweet. Um, uh, I had, I had, I didn't say Steve's name, but I love Steve so much that I had to just like kind of throw it in there. I said, can you, can you talk about the 1995 NCAA finals? Like where, where your mind was at? What do you think you did wrong? Or if you could go back and change anything. And, and he hit on exactly what you and I talked earlier. He said, I was just too focused on winning. I just want to grab my trophy and go home. That was yeah. his answer. And, I, and, and the, just that short little, I want to grab my trophy and go home. I just, I love that. He seemed cooler saying that. The fact that that was also when, you know, Mark Johnson was going back into Carver and he had coached at Iowa for so long to go in there and have one of his guys to throne, one of the best Iowa wrestlers ever, which again, just speaks volume to Mark Johnson. What is he able to do? I mean, it's incredible. Marinetti was never a high school stud. No, he never won it. Same as, and he's kind of the same as Emory. It's always that he, it's, it starts with, he didn't win state in high school and look what he did. He's the, he's the example for when you're talking to the team and you're trying to get someone that doesn't believe that they could do that to believe it. He's him and Emory are the examples, man. It's funny how and even, and even Adam, Adam Terrapelli came and talked to us. And he said that when they delivered what well, he had just gotten to Illinois and they delivered the name tags and, uh, he hadn't gotten a score on anyone, even an escape all week. And so when the name tags came, he wouldn't put his up. He said, I don't even deserve to be on this team. <laughs> so those are like, you know, the Marinetti and, um, and Emery and then, and then Terrapelli. These are the stories that you, you get these people who, who aren't quite sure if, they, if, they, if they're enough to do it, that you kind of just get like an, oh, yeah, the idea in their head of that they, they can. Mm-hmm. Look, at, look at how these guys, these guys who have huge pictures on our wall in the room as NCAA champions, look how much they 
struggled at the beginning. Dude, and Tara Pelly, such I love that guy. He's such an impressive guy that it's hard to believe that he ever has self-doubts about anything. But hearing him tell that story, it's like, man, it happens to everybody. Yeah. You know? Well, last question for you, Mike. It's the same question we ask everyone as we wind down. How did wrestling impact your life or how has wrestling changed your life? Uh, obviously, you're a coach, so it is your life. But what do you take with you for, to this day um, that you've learned from wrestling? Well, I think I just, I'm in a situation in my life that I actually, that I absolutely love, like where I'm at with my family, with wrestling, with things I can do. And I, wrestling is my life. So it was able to get me to a place right now where I, I have my dream job. I've, I consider myself very lucky with Illinois, with my family and with so many things and, and rest, re, you and I talking right now is because of wrestling. For sure. So it got, it got me into a great place in life. Man, it's an honor to talk to you, man. It's I, I know we've been looking to get on the books for a while. We'll have to have you back on because I know there's a there's a ton of stuff we didn't even talk about that uh, I had a head in the back of my mind. So thank you very much for your time, my friend. I appreciate it. No, Ryan, thank you. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text Wrestle to five 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 eighty eight eight. That's Wrestle to five 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 eighty eight eight. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter. Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, wrestlingchangemylife.com. Take care, y'all.